welcome to Ayahuasca Anonymous, stories of personal transformations from the use of ayahuasca and other plant medicines. I'm your host, Nate Falkoff. Who am I? I'm just some dude. I did ayahuasca a bunch of times. I went to South America three different trips. My gateway in was illness. I had Lyme disease, which is a really shitty, chronic, potentially chronic illness. Uh, I was very depressed. I was very angry. I was hurting a lot and not letting anyone in. And ayahuasca really helped. And from that initial experience, though, a lot of other parts of my life changed as well. Um, I've explored all this in other formats. I wrote a whole goddamn book that was a thinly veiled autobiography. So my story isn't really that important, although it'll come up. The point of this podcast is really to connect with other people and tell their stories and find common threads between them. Um, and I called it Ayahuasca Anonymous particularly because I'm open to uh, all kinds of people, maybe people who don't even want to necessarily identify themselves. There's a, there's a lot of great podcasts out there and other media, but I think there is a barrier to entry where you kind of only hear from people who are media personalities or willing to put themselves out there like that. And I know from my personal experience, I've probably met at least 200 people that I've drank ayahuasca with. And the amount of stories, the variety is just, it's amazing. It still gets me when I think of, you know, there were lots of lost millennials like me. But there was also the Scottish lady who worked at the train station. There was the grandfather, the multiple mother-daughter pairs, the um, other people. There's so many. There's just so many different stories. And I feel like those narratives don't get told often. Um, I'm not sure they'll want to talk to me either, but we'll see. So on with the show. My first guest is Mark, last name unknown, setting the precedent for uh, you don't have to fully identify yourself. Mark and I uh, volunteered together at an ayahuasca camp. We slept in bunk beds in a room with 12 dudes in it uh, for like three months together. So I got to know Mark really well. We became good friends. There's a lot of similarities in our stories. Um, he also happens to professionally edit podcasts for a living now. So he really hooked me up on some tips on what I should do. So thank you, Mark. And we had a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I mean, you went, what, like three or four years ago this was? Oh. Two and a half years, yeah. Okay. Well, basically, where were you at in life that you... Who was Mark then, and why did you think you needed to go do ayahuasca? Um, let's see. I was working a nine-to-five-day job doing something that 
I used to like, but over the course of a decade or so, um, my job turned into something that I wasn't too happy or thrilled with. Um, I know that sounds like pretty typical for a lot of people, but I didn't really have, you know, I didn't have a house. I didn't have any kids. I didn't really have too much holding me down. So I wanted to kind of explore what else I could do um, while I still kind of have this, I guess, opportunity to make a change. But I wasn't really sure, you know, like I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I felt very stuck in my job and in my career path or just my path, I guess, life path. I felt very stuck and I just needed to take a break from the routine. Um, I had never really taken time off more than like a week vacation just due to the nature of, um, you know, corporate life. Um, and I needed to kind of dig into myself and I just needed to get away from everything. So yeah. I started, first it started, I was looking into yoga and meditation retreats pretty extensively. I actually had picked one out. I think it was in the Bahamas. Um, you know, read a lot of reviews and I had that kind of on my, that was kind of what my target was for a while. And then one day out of nowhere, my, um, my good friend who I've known since elementary school um, sends me a text message to a website. It was a blog and I click on it and um, it's a website that a friend of ours from elementary school from when we were like 11 years old, you know, knew him and um, kind of lost touch with him around high school. But he had a website up and there was a blog post about this, this ayahuasca retreat center that he had gone to and he wrote a review on it. And I read through the whole thing and immediately it all kind of clicked. This is what I need to do, not the meditation retreat center. This is kind of like a sign in a strange way um, that this person I know that I lost touch with years ago, all of a sudden I'm you know, reading this blog post about a retreat yeah. and it's everything kind of checks off the boxes of what I was looking to do and kind of the state of mind I was in. And I was looking to get away and I was looking for some type of inward journey and just reflecting on life and life change. This kind of seemed to be it. So um, that's pretty much how it happened. Um, you know, the short of the story, I guess. And, and I did some quick reviews and, and just bought tickets kind of within a day <laughs> <laughs> without even asking permission at work and then just kind of told them I was going. And uh, that's kind of how it happened. And at this point, you were what? Were you in your early 40s? I was in my late 30s. Late 30s. And yeah. were you married to Beth yet? No, it was not. We were uh, engaged for about two months. Okay. At that point. So <laughs> you can and imagine she was pretty nervous when I, was, when I left. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you kind of came from the, there's all these different, I'm trying to like kind of categorize, people seem to come from these different categories of, you know, addiction or illness or just feeling stuck and lost. So you were kind okay. of at this, like you had hit this wall of like, I'm stuck in a rut. Yeah, that's how it felt. I felt trapped. Um, yep. I felt trapped in my job, just routine kind of, well, this is it right? I got to ride this out for the rest Until of my you life. die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't really happy with that. Um, and I know a lot of other people, mutual friends and, and family members who feel, or I think feel the same way or have told me they do. Um, 
but I think, you know, once you take on a certain amount of responsibility, as you get older, it becomes harder to change. So like, like I said, I felt like I was in this situation where I could at least attempt to make a change without too much of my life falling apart. <laughs> right. Okay. So you went and you went to Gaia. Right. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I went, um, you know, I went there for the full retreat, full two weeks. Um, you want the short story or the long story? <laughs> the short story is I went to Gaia. Yeah, short. Um, and um, I had a great experience. Um, it definitely changed me in many ways. It maybe didn't change me in a lot of ways that you, you know, maybe would expect from a lot of maybe if people have read into ayahuasca, but it definitely affected me so much that I would say in retrospect at the, at the whole end of the thing, it gave me the courage to just make the change that I was looking to make, um, which was number one, I need to quit my job and do something different. And I'm not sure what that is. And I think that was the fear that I got over was even though I didn't know what it was, um, I wasn't going to figure it out unless I quit my job took the leap and put myself in this situation where I had to figure it out type of thing. Um, so it just gave me the courage. So I got back home after my experience and pretty much made a plan to quit <laughs> after two or so months, kind of saved, you know, plan made a financial plan to save some money. Yeah. And um, that's kind of the short story. Yeah. Okay. So now let's, let's dig a little deeper in some targeted ways. I mean, I can certainly recognize that fear in myself, what I'm doing right now doesn't seem like it's a, a long-term. I'm wondering if part of that fear that you discovered was an attachment to some sort of identity, security, or like prestige of just feeling like you had landed somewhere. Like what, what would, what was the fear really besides the unknown? Like it, it goes a little deeper than that. It must have. Right. Yeah. I think it's a combination of things. It's hard for me to really put it on one thing. Of course, there's a fear of failure and then you're going to, well, what is, what is failure? What do I define as failure? And, you know, there's a financial fear of, you know, running out of money and I guess having to get a job at the mall, you know, at yeah, my yeah. age, which is kind of a legitimate fear. But then I think that's what I, what I learned about myself after going through the ceremonies that I went through was like, I know myself well enough and I know that I would be able to not, I'd be able, what's the best way to put it? I know I'm smart enough to be able to avoid that type of situation. Um, and I mean that in the just having confidence in myself, like, well, no, I wouldn't let that happen. So I know I'm not going to end up homeless on the street. Like I'm smarter than that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, you know, I wouldn't have got this far by the, you know, 38 after some of the crazy shit that I've done in my life. If I'm still here, <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to give myself a little bit more credit here. You know, that's kind of what I kind of just gave me that confidence boost. Um, but I, so, but yeah, to get into, I think it was just a fear of you kind of, um, you said about this path 
that, you know, my parents started me off on rightfully so as parents, you know, go to college, you gotta, you gotta have a career. You gotta do something with yourself. You gotta find a way to make some money. Um, or as my dad used to tell me, you gotta have a fallback plan. Oh yeah. Um, and I was running on the fallback plan. I think the whole time, um, or at least towards the last couple of years of, of before I went away was, it just felt like I was just running on the fallback plan and didn't really have anything else. So there was just a fear of like, well, what yeah. would I, what would happen if I, I put so much time and effort into being on this path right now, it just felt, I guess, just a fear of the unknown. Well, there's a bunch of stuff there. Like one, there's like the sunk cost fallacy where you're like, well, I, it was so hard to get to where I am. I don't want right. to throw that away, but also, um, what was I hearing in there? I should have wrote this shit down as you were talking. <laughs> uh, Financial fear, fear of failure, parents. No, you, you said all the crazy shit you went. I don't know what your 20s were like oh. or whatever, but <laughs> but I'm assuming there was a kind of a rebellious phase where you had kind of an unstable life, right? I had that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I lived in New York City for about, 13 years from my early twenties to my mid thirties. And I just, I really lived it up while I was there. I'll just, I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. I lived okay. in East village for a while and I lived in Brooklyn and I was really very much a part of like the nightlife scene and burning man scene in New York city. And um, just looking back, I mean, there's, you know, I've just done some crazy stuff that, um, <laughs> that a lot of people probably haven't done and that I, you know, maybe could have ended up in jail for you know, <laughs> just looking back. There's just a lot of stuff that I'm like, you know, I'm kind of lucky in some ways, but uh, I guess that's just what I meant by that is um, there's a lot of street smarts. I think I gained from being in like a situation like that for so long that when I felt like the fear of the unknown, I was like, no, you know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, if I can survive, survive this long, I'm not going to end up on the streets. Okay. Again, I have two points I want to make off of that. <laughs> of one, I'm just trying to figure out, was there some amount of, um, like at some point you kind of stopped living whatever this crazy lifestyle that you're being nonspecific about is. Like you kind of <laughs> turned a corner where you put that behind you a little bit, right? Yeah, I moved out of New York about probably two years before I okay. quit or, yeah. Was there any like, I find that I have like this kind of fear of reverting to some of the bad parts of my younger self. Like there was a lot of, uh, I don't know. I was pretty wild and crazy too. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about kind of now I've kind of found myself and I've taken on adult responsibility and kind of grown out of that. And I always have this fear of if I let some of that back in, it'll like take me over again. Like, it's like, I, I, I don't believe that I can have fun and be a little more loose with my identity and also be a responsible adult. Oh, I see what you're saying, but no, I don't think that's the case. You don't have me. that? No, I've always kind of tried to straddle both. Okay. And I think I still do. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I'm learning to do that now. Like you're I was learning to do that, yeah. So extreme one way and, you know, just a pothead okay. and shunning all responsibility working like 
shitty jobs and thinking I'm a starving artist. And then I went the other way for a little bit where I was like, no, I'm just going to make a bunch of money. And then sort of my creativity, and a lot of things fell by the wayside. And now I'm trying to integrate them both. I see. But you think you've ha always had that balance? I think I've actually, yeah, I think I've always been a bit balanced and maybe that's where by the time I, you know, hit my mid thirties, I almost feel like I never went totally left, so to speak, or something like that. You know, I was always, always like still held my day job the whole time. Yeah, yeah, still yeah. Like, I still like had that responsible front somehow. Like a I lived like two lives, like a fight club style feeling life where I had my day life and my night life. And I still kind of worked with them both, but um, yeah, I don't know if I'm making sense. No, that totally makes sense. sense. And the way you're saying like you were living the fall back plan yeah was there a point where you kind of forgot like oh this was supposed to be a fallback and i'm just making it real life like this is supposed to be temporary yeah at a certain point um i just kind of i remember even thinking around the time when i moved out of new york i think even um out of the city that is that i was like just gonna be a normal person I remember thinking that. No, I'm just going to yeah, be yeah. normal for a while. I'm just going to, you know, I have a steady job. I'm making decent money. Like, let me just be normal for a while. Let me, like, not be trying to be this crazy, you know, musician or going out to these crazy events anymore. Let me just, like, try to be normal for a while. And then I think I just started to get bored um, with that. Well, it's also you're kind of, like, burying your soul, right? Yeah, that's kind of what it you're, felt you're like. doing the thing that you're so I mean I was so afraid of that when I was like a teenager it's kind of like you're selling out or whatever you're just like, yeah that is kind of what it felt like and I've always been conscious of that happening yeah, me too, <laughs> as man. I get older okay but so ayahuasca in the short version helped you kind of get the courage to break through some of that stuff but I'm assuming it must have gone a lot deeper than just your job. Like that's the surface level problem that you came there for. Right. What, what did you actually get into? Uh, what do you, what do you mean? I don't know. Like, because the job and the fallback plan and all that, that's all just kind of like a symptom of something else. Right. Right. You were really examining some deeper, more core beliefs probably yeah i mean i always wanted to do music be a musician and uh, be involved with just creating music and that's what i was doing in new york city for the 10 plus years that i was there and then yeah i kind of gave that up when i you know went to quote be a normal person and and just went full in on my fallback so i think Having given that up, I felt very lost because I had been in doing, been a, very involved in music and just being creative in that way since I was probably like eight years old. I mean, it's always kind of been part of me. Um, so it was, you know, the typical, what is my deeper purpose in life? Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's definitely not to sit in an office for work, you know, do you know, web stuff for a corporation, like some people, maybe that's 
they're into that. That's what drives them, the creative aspect of that. And it did when I started doing that. But um, having kind of lost the, the music creativity side of me, having like burned out on that from just so much doing it for so long. And yeah, I just felt lost. And then like, a, what is my purpose in life? Is it, it's gotta be more to just working. Um, so I think it was, it was that, you know, like what makes me tick or what, what, how can I keep that childlike spirit? Well, yeah, I had that too. And I think that's one of the reasons we bonded a lot. For me, it was, I felt like a failure. I lived in Hollywood for four years. That's right. I, was, I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, I was straight out of college. I was trying, a young man trying to go make it. Thought I was going to write like the next Apocalypse Now. And that's right. <laughs> I had that whole thing too. And then when that all broke down for me and I moved back to Ohio, I was like, fuck it. Maybe I'll just get a regular job and just be a normal person. It's kind of sounds very similar. Yeah. It's the exact same thing yeah, where yeah. it's like, I mean, I needed to have that because the way I was living when I was in LA was not stable. Right. You know, I was bouncing from restaurant job to restaurant job and all this stuff and not even really being that good at creativity because my life was so unstable. I was mostly just like, I was living in a very reactive way. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I had this huge feeling of failure after that didn't work out the way I thought it should in a storybook kid goes and conquers Hollywood way. Right. And I'm wondering if you had some of that too of like, okay, you kind of gave up on music, it felt like, and you just felt mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty much pretty much the same deal. I, I don't, I yeah. don't know what else to say. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it was kind of like, what's next, you know, what's next. I want something to be next. I want there to be a new horizon, you know, to look at, but I don't know what that is. Um, but yeah. okay. So one of the things I'm fascinated with is we talk in these like abstract ways of like, I don't know. There's this like uh, story to ayahuasca where you hear people say like, I went and two weeks later I cured my chronic disease or mm -hmm. I found the courage to quit my job or whatever the thing is. And I'm like, what happened in between? Like, mm -hmm. how does that work? I mean, I know now from my perspective, but I think other people might be curious. Like, what was like, I mean, what was that ayahuasca or San Pedro or whatever experience like where you're finding that resistance in yourself? Were there any, do you remember it? Were there metaphors and things coming up or like, what was kind of that actual journey in a, a little bit more detailed picture? Well, the message I got from ayahuasca I mean, there, you know, there's, I, I have a lot of it written down because it's easier to, to, um, to remember, but the main overall message that I got from ayahuasca was that, uh, you are cared for. Yeah. That was the, you know, the message that I heard or felt, um, you know, when I was at 
my first ayahuasca ceremony when I was, I had this turning point, you know, where everything's terrifying and I'm getting swallowed by the earth and, you know, you feel like you're dying or about to throw up. Just everything is, you know, at its peak. And then I crossed over into this other kind of side where all of a sudden everything became peaceful and everything was okay. And I literally felt like I was deep underground, like encased in a cocoon of sorts, um, kind of surrounded by roots. And I just had this feeling of you are, you are cared for. So it was this universal kind of feeling of like the earth telling me that like everything's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. I guess was the overall kind of feeling, you know, like you're worrying about all this stuff, but in the end you're, you're going to be cared for. Like you're not going to, you know, die from making a change or, or, you know, so that you was had just the this, feeling I got. This, maybe this view before of the universe as this kind of cold, chaotic, uh, hostile place maybe like that's kind of what the fear was telling you a cold and chaotic place well i don't know it's like what you're saying about experiencing it as you are cared for mm. to me that implies that before you believed you are not cared for right i mean that's maybe what all the fears were right yeah yeah, yeah. i it's, don't know it was just that feeling of like um security that's the best okay. way to put it there was like just a feeling of like security with everything yeah so it's <laughs> almost like like you know, that, you're that was cared, a... you're cared for everything's going to be fine like i don't know that's uh th those no, are the only I, words i can find to like translate i, like, I get the message i'm trying to kind of translate it's fascinating to me how ayahuasca works where like a simple message like that, that you really feel in the core of your being mm -hmm. can like flip everything. It's almost like before you realize you thought the world was not a secure, safe place. And then ayahuasca showed you not even showed you, like made you feel like, Hey, you're safe. You're secure. You're right. going to be able to figure this out. And from that feeling, you managed to change your whole life just because you experienced that in this deep core inner way. And then you could always kind of fall back on that when the right. fear got too much. Right. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have anything else to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I mean, there was other stuff. I don't know if you want to, you can say if you don't want to go here because you talked about your book and how mm. you keep mentioning how you hated your parents less. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, parent stuff. I mean, I can talk about my parents stuff that came up. If you don't want to go there, we don't have to, but I feel like a lot of people would probably relate. It's like such a crucial part of, I mean, that's where everything comes from. It's your whole psychology. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, parents. I mean, the th thing with my parents is I think it's a lot of it is pretty typical with a lot of people. It comes down to, you know, feeling the influence from your parents as you get older and 
and um, feeling like you're a failure if you don't not doing things the way they expected you to. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, getting kind of that passive aggressive influence from your parents, them never feeling quite like you're on the path that they expect you to be on. So they make little comments or hinted comments that will drive me insane, you know, just stuff like that, which in retrospect now, after my whole experience um, with the medicines and the ceremonies and, you know, going to Gaia and just, I guess, even just getting older and reflecting on it all, I think it's all pretty normal. Um, it's just part of was part of the growing pains. Everybody's got a different relationship with their parents and their parents would drive them crazy in different ways. But I think a lot of it was um, just, um, yeah, having the courage to pave your own way and figuring out the best way to respond and respond to your parents and handle that type of energy when you get it from them, you know, response is is key um yeah so what was yeah. i mean i'll tell you this specifically i'm in that process and i think we all are constantly of realizing oh this is what my parents trained me to believe this is kind mm -hmm. of their belief and being able to recognize that that doesn't have to be your own right i'm hitting those constantly all the time even after doing all this stuff like when i my parents read my book and the mm -hmm. first thing my dad said to me was <laughs> if it wasn't so personal, this could actually be pretty commercial. <laughs> and I just got so fucking angry. Oh man. Because, and, but after I thought about it, I was like, Oh, this is where that whole drive, this is where the fucking Hollywood came in. This mm -hmm. is like, I have this instinct that I need to be a commercial success. And that's where it came from. It's the voice of my dad. Right. And I can understand where that came from, from him too. Like I have compassion. He was, he's an extremely talented musician. And I think, you know, he had kids and all this stuff and maybe his life didn't pan out exactly as he wanted to with that. Right. So I can kind of see the whole picture now, but in that moment when, I mean, that really fucking set me off. Yeah. It's a trigger, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah now I'm, I'm the same way with, uh, I think it's a, it's a father son thing um, that can happen with my, father a lot but I remember being in the San Pedro ceremony um, where you know for people who don't know it's you know you have to sit on the carpet in front of the shaman and kind of reveal your soul <laughs> yeah no, but I, I, I one of the you know one of the topics that came up for me was you know parents and and um, I remember Salvador a shaman asked me um, I don't remember specifically what topic about I think it was my father we were talking about at that moment but he was you know why do you need your father to be the way you want him to be you know why why do you need that and it's just like I'm sitting there and it's like he got me right there you know yeah like that's, it's one of those moments where you're just like man you just ran my mind into a wall like you're right like it's me. It's not him. You know, and you have one of those moments. It's because of how I'm perceiving it or how I'm handling it. It's, you know, it's just simple things like that. But um, yeah, it sounds simple, but I mean, I think that's part of the magic of what that ceremony is, which is everyone drinks San Pedro, which is basically mescaline and you're hanging out all day 
and then everyone takes a turn on the mat and like you said kind of bears their soul to the shaman and then in he just gives like else. in front of everybody else and your heart is kind of just wide open um so you're and getting you're a terrified lot at the same time and you're terrified at the same time it's like <laughs> a truth serum that's how i describe it it's like the truth serum from harry potter like you just can't really hide and you have to say whatever the real like childish ugly dark belief you have whatever like little secret that you think is too terrible to say out in the world at least for me is like i end up saying that <laughs> <laughs> that's true and then you expose it to kind of like fresh air and sunlight and then there's this mystical wise shaman sing from across you and he just kind of reflects back like says a couple zen sage words that just make you like go oh oh <laughs> it's i think that was one of the most it's the hardest to describe and one of the most magical things i experienced and i don't think it's very common either like it's not i don't know any other place that does that the san pedro yeah the way that they did it yeah san pedro i actually for me was more healing than the ayahuasca um, unexpectedly so as well because you know obviously i went for the ayahuasca and the san pedro was kind of this added bonus yeah um, but i actually find that or found that to be for me everyone's different but for me the more kind of healing ceremony um yeah i would agree well i mean they're different yeah i i have a pet theory about that that like i felt pretty comfortable with ayahuasca even when it got crazy <laughs> uh, because I think I'm used to kind of processing my emotions alone and you know I like uh, diving into the unconscious and like the weird dreamlike metaphors and stuff like that was all pretty cool with me uh, other people seem to not like that but the San Pedro is really tough for me because by nature you have to like it's all about the group right it's all about externally kind of talking about your feelings and being open in that way that was much more difficult for me and i've seen it's kind of like an introvert extrovert thing i i almost think like ayahuasca is introvert san pedro is extrovert mm -hmm. do, do you agree for sure agree with that? i 100 percent agree it's what i told a lot of the guests um when I was a uh, work exchanger at the retreat center, that's one of the, the, the ways I used to put it is yeah. introvert, extrovert. Yeah. So you were more comfortable with the extrovert part? Um, yes and no. I'm an introvert by nature, but I think I connect with people more. I mean, for me, the whole experience in itself of the whole retreat was about connection with people and community. Um, so for me, and maybe that's as a result of my introvertness <laughs> is, you know, that I liked that connection. So, um, yeah, I was just more drawn to the San Pedro on that level. I felt like having to bear my soul in front of everybody and everybody else having to do the same thing kind of just lets down a wall that nobody usually lets down um so you just kind of feel 
more connected with everybody in kind of this way that people that you went to like high school with or elementary school with or people that you've known since you were a kid, you kind of have this weird safe connection to. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like that, but it's for somebody that you've only known for like seven days. <laughs> no, I know I exactly think, what you're saying. And I think a lot of it is because, at least from my perception, is because we've all kind of let down those adult walls, so to speak, that as you get older, I think you maybe don't do as much as you did when you were a kid. This is just my guess, but because we've all been vulnerable in front of everybody, on mescaline, <laughs> you know, yeah. revealing our souls. Um, you're all just more comfortable around everybody. You don't really have anything to hide or try to. And there's such yeah. a relief in that. Yeah. Like when you realize like I can just be my messy self, I can cry, I can laugh, I can whatever, I can go insane. Like no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Or if That's they do, true. it's their problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of studies about how like the friends that you make essentially in early child childhood through like college, basically, it's very hard to make real friends after that. Right. For a variety of reasons. And, and I think this is one of the reasons. And I think that's one of the things I got out of the whole experience was it was like a window into, oh, this might be why, because nobody's kind of being this open yeah you're all no, you're all just playing some vulnerable. kind of you're playing some kind of character exactly everything's always oh, oh everything's always fine you know? yeah and it's the one <laughs> when, it and like fine fine how <laughs> how's your day going good no one's going to be i mean some some people do but no one's really going to tell you what's and going if they on do tell lives. you it's kind of i i'm like all right that's oversharing yeah then like, i don't actually want to hear Right, right. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's a cultural thing. I don't know if that's just an age thing. To be honest, I don't really know. But I think that's a big factor that I kind of learned um, is I don't think um, people feel safe enough to be that vulnerable. Just, you know, in even their close yeah. Family circles, even in their family circles. Like, I don't know if people, I feel like some of the things that people shared in the San Pedro circles that I was a part of are things, I mean, and I know are things that like their family members don't even know, or, or like where, where are people being, where else can, are people able to be this vulnerable and get something off their chest? They have to go to therapy to do it, I guess. But I think there's something about the group community aspect of it that you feel part of this collective group of people or it's like a family in a way because you're all able to be vulnerable and support each other and i think that itself is a major thing that we're la a lot of people are lacking i think in the way we live at least in the west yeah i mean that that experience you're describing changed my life yeah that's why i'm doing this podcast is try to recapture that because uh you know when i came back Every time I came back and I went three times, I just realized that I had this like very pale substitute of that. It's almost like a thin gruel when like if right. what, what we experienced was like a nice hearty soup that was nourishing. It's like the level of emotional connection that I have to my family, to 
And it all comes from not really being yourself, not actually saying what's going on with you, mm-hmm. like hiding your emotions. And I think right. that's just a learned, I think there's a mistrust of emotions in our whole society. And then we just numb it down with, you know, consumerism and alcohol and blah, 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 blah. Right. And it probably goes much deeper than that. Like we could get into all the systematic ways that (laughs) they're trying to control us and numb us down and everything. But to me, like, I don't even, that's a side conversation to me. It's like learning how to re-experience that. Right. Yeah. That was, um, key for me coming back was want to be in more of a community of people um, much more more localized think more local unless you know just that feeling of um, and it's it's hard to be honest it's hard to find when you come back to the states at least in New York (laughs) I'm not in New York City anymore but you know you feel um, it feels different you can feel it I remember coming back from my retreat as a guest i remember um i flew into jfk and i took metro north the the train from grand central up north because i was living about an hour two hours north of new york city um and i just remember my whole experience from the airport to the, being on the subway to being on the train all the way up north i just remember like how negative everything felt and and i don't mean like i mean i've Obviously, the experience of coming to New York City, coming from, you know, Ecuador is going to be in itself a shock. But I don't even really mean that. I mean, like, just people's body language felt negative. Um, I remember over just hearing people on the phone while I was on the train and just what they were talking about. I just it was all like negative things or it was like judgments and. Or even guilt. just the tone of their voice. The it doesn't matter what yeah. they're saying. Yeah. You tune in now to like, everything's kind of aggressive or whiny or complaining. Exactly. Or, yeah. Nothing was, there was nothing positive being talked about. It was like complaining about somebody or judgment about somebody, or I'm upset about this, or it was just like, I just, I was very sensitive to it. And I, I think I just noticed it. And I don't know if we realize at least how much it's always there. And we're just, we get used to it. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, and I always remember when I um, would go to the West Coast, California, I had some family in California, we'd go visit. I always remember every time I'd go to the West Coast, I'd notice how much happier everybody seemed. And, um, and then I would go up to like the Pacific Northwest, took a, took a couple trips up there. Again, everybody seemed like so much friendlier, just like the, the guy who's working in like the 7-Eleven there, like seems like he's in a great mood. Like everybody would yeah. seem friendlier. People would stop in cars would stop for me before I even get to the street to cross like, and wait for me. Like people are just overly, you get this, the opposite feeling there that I got when I was on the train on the way home in New York, I got this feeling of positivity. So I know it's not, it's not like just an American or a, a, a Western thing, but there's that feeling of when I got back to the Northeast, I just felt this overwhelming, like, uh, energy just everybody kind of is in a rut and it's like that's just the best way to put it everybody feels like they're in a rut I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know there's that i mean if you're talking about new york city there's also like the busyness of it the like everyone being in close quarters but ignoring each other part of it 
Right. Like the subway is really, I mean, I would never want to do like mushrooms on the subway. No. <laughs> you no. know, like where you just kind of key into what you have to do to live in a big city is learn to tune out certain stuff, you know, yeah. homelessness, right. The crazy guy who's taking a shit. Like people just walk by that. You just, but there's a yeah, cost yeah. to doing that. You're numbing down your sensations. That's true. Um, I mean, I don't know what part of the West coast you were on. LA has got some major darkness in it. <laughs> yeah. No, I it's guess o- I'm it's mainly... okay to visit, but uh... <laughs> now I'm mainly talking like Portland and I guess Northern, but yeah. I guess my point with that was like, it's not like everywhere. It's not every, everybody, you know, there's certain parts. Yes. I'm very sensitive to, I guess, the society that I live in. Um, there is somebody who said this recently, it might've been an article I read, but you can judge a, a society by the way people drive. And I feel right. like it's, it's, it's true because I've traveled around the, the United States a good amount. And when you go to Portland, Oregon, the way people drive in Portland, Oregon, compared to the way people drive in New York or California really represents like how you feel when you're interacting with people. Like it it really does. There's more patience. There's more like, so it's kind of like, I'm very sensitive to that, I guess. And, um, and I think the whole experience just kind of amplified that, that your surroundings um, and the, the people you surround yourself with and the ability to be vulnerable or be open with those people is really going to impact your, 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 your life um, and your quality of life. Yeah. I mean, this might be a, a transition into sort of the skepticism or cynicism. I don't know what you're talking about it of like the trip back mm-hmm. when you start to feel dissonance again. Right. I think that's such an important part that obviously doesn't get really addressed at all in the retreat setting because that's not their job. They're there to blow your mind, get your money (laughs) and then send you packing. Right. But then you have to come back and try to apply all this crazy vulnerability and stuff that you learned to a setting that is not open to that. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to face instant resistance from your friends and your family and your society and everything where you have this kind of, you've discovered this new way of being and you're trying to bring it back with you. And it's very easy to just lose it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The trip back is challenging. I'm it's um, integration. Yeah. That's really what that's the buzzword is the term for it. I mean, I have some mixed feelings on the whole process in itself. Um, Well, working at the retreat center, working at Gaia for almost six months that I did really gave me another perspective on the whole, on the whole retreat itself or the whole, not that retreat, just the whole experience for people. Um, Cause I saw, you know, a lot of people come through, you know, and I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's different for everybody, but I feel like for me, um, there's this, there's this, I forget what it's called, but there's this, like, um, there's this test. It might've been in the Michael Pollan book, uh, where he references, you know, you put a mouse in a cage with an empty cage and just, you know, some 
cocaine and yeah, the yeah. drip, the mouse will consistently just go for the cocaine and eventually kill itself. But if you take that same mouse and put it in a different um, cage with, you know, other mice and, you know, like uh, plants or whatever, make this like a really nice environment, that same mouse will not go for the cocaine. Um, and I think this plays a major role because when you're in the retreat center, you're kind of in that environment. That's you're nice. The mouse mansion. Right. And then when you leave and you go back to, you know, you go back home, you might be going back to that empty cage. And yeah. I feel I've always, I felt kind of conflicted as I reflect on this, if that's really the case. Um, but I feel like it's the case for a lot of people that I've at least kept in touch with. Um, there's always a big struggle that seems to come when we get back. Um, not, it's not always the case, but, you know, I think, um, I'm not sure if the integration thing is actually like, I don't know if, is that something that, you know, that the indigenous cultures, the, the, the shamans, and is that something that they even, I don't even know if that's a concept that they have. I don't think so because they're, they don't travel, they don't go to America to do ayahuasca. You know, they don't have this right. giant journey. Their integration is incorporated in their community. Like Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they don't have that going back to the empty cage thing. So I've thought about this, you know, I've thought about this a lot, but is it, you know, is it helpful to go to another different environment, have this type of experience, and then go back to your old environment? I mean, I guess that's really the, the question. Is it possible to bring that, bring those lessons back with you? Or are you kind of living a lie? Or I don't know if a lie is the right way to put it, but are you, you know, being a bit naive about it and that you're just going to go have this experience, but then you're going to come back and you're going to kind of go back to the way things were. And is that all it really was? Was it just an experience or is it possible to integrate? And I mean, I can't answer that for everybody. Um, I didn't have this big crash coming back, but I think I expected to. Yeah. Which is maybe why I didn't. I don't right. Know that because you sense. knew it was coming. You yeah. were aware that it was a lot of people. What you're talking about, the naivete, which I had, is that you really think you are an actual changed person forever right. and that you're going to go back and carry this feeling of like newborn baby joy and abundance. Like you're just going to bring that back and be that forever. Right. You don't realize what goes up must come down. Right. Um, Had you done a lot of psychedelics before you went? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just curious. But it, there had been a big hiatus. Same. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like this reintroduction of stuff I had already known. And I think that actually made it a little easier for me. Like I knew how to ride out. The... There's always a come down, right? Yeah. Same. And I think some people don't know that and they they just don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's hard, like, it's hard to say it if that's even really 
what it is for everybody else or not everybody. It's hard to speak for others, you know, right. I can only go based on my own perceptions, but um, I was, I always, I'm always a skeptic first with anything. It's just, I've always been like that. Um, somebody tells me the stove is hot. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go see what hot is. <laughs> You're going to anyway. go put your hand on it. <laughs> I believe you. And I'm not saying I don't believe you, but I'm still going to go see, you know, like that's yeah, always yeah, been yeah. like that. So um, even going down to, you know, the retreat center, skeptical. I remember getting in the taxi from the airport thinking like this guy's going to, could be taking me in the mountains to kill me. No one would ever know. Like I'm always skeptical. It doesn't, you know, it yeah, doesn't me matter. Too. So, um, but I forgot where I was going with this. Um, did you, well, let me ask you, did you bring that same skepticism to ayahuasca and all the different things? Cause I did. And I'm wondering how it transformed for you because it was pretty wild how it, I got convinced I drank the Kool-Aid man. Like it, it converted me, but it was a, it was a process. Yeah. So I kind of lost my train of thought here, but the, um, I guess what I meant by I was being, being a skeptic first is that um, when the thought of coming back and the reintegration, you know, I was very skeptical about being this changed person, or like you said, being aware of there being a come down. Um, so I didn't come back like, Yeah, I don't know what I'm really trying to say. You might have to cut cut all that. <laughs> uh, we'll see how how yeah. diligent I am about editing. <laughs> um, but yeah, of course, I was skeptical when I was uh, going into the ceremonies. I was skeptical well. I think what you're saying is it was it was an easier. You landed on a cushion in a way because you were so skeptical that you weren't necessarily expecting to be a changed person. Right. When you actually did get some benefit out of it, you're like, well. This was yeah, actually better than I thought. Ad, yeah, it's an added bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was expecting to come back and just crash and burn. <laughs> right. And you were surprised by uh, your newfound confidence and security yeah. that you found. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me ask you this. This is something I've been thinking about is like, is the ayahuasca retreat, do you think as a model, it's like, I think that's what we're, we're kind of questioning here is the empty cage for set because mm. there's no reason it has to be set up the way it is. And they're all kind of set up the same way. They're like these 12, 14 day things where you drink ayahuasca, like, or whatever plant medicines you're doing like six times in like two weeks. And I remember thinking that as a pretty experienced psychedelic user, I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> the last thing I want to do after a heavy mushroom trip is do another heavy mushroom trip. And they sort of like, pack that in because i think that's the product that we're selling is like kind of almost instant enlightenment or instant answer to your problem um and i i don't i don't know if i think there's probably pros and cons to it but i wonder if it's even like that great of an idea to structure it the way it is or if that's just what the market wants or people think the market wants yeah, I've thought about this. I could see it both ways because when I went as a guest, I mean, you do five ceremonies and I'm right. Is that how many it was? Yeah. Five, five ceremonies and 
10 days or 11 days. Um, it really helped me to go deep. I think like by that fourth yeah. or fifth ceremony, I mean, there's, there's a term they say of like having an afterglow after you eat mushrooms or take acid the next day, you have an afterglow. It's like, you're kind of still glowing a little bit. Well, you know, you're kind of still glowing a little bit after the first ayahuasca and then then you do san pedro and then after that day you're kind of still glowing from both and then you know so it's kind of like you're kind of layering in a way so by the time you get to that to the end of the retreat i mean i remember getting to the last the last day the last the last ceremony and um i guess maybe to what you're saying i almost felt like it wasn't necessary like i was so I was so deep. Um, but to the other side, if, if we had let more days go by between the ceremonies, I may have not, you know, got that far. So I think it just depends maybe on who you are. And I saw people, you know, seen people bail after the second ceremony cause they're good. <laughs> right. You know? Well, I agree with you. It definitely takes you deeper. Um, like I know for me, the first retreat I went on, I came in thinking, you know, really what I was focused on was Lyme disease and illness. Mm -hmm. And basically in the first ayahuasca ceremony, I got everything I was going to get about that. It was like, yeah, I don't really worry about that. In a, this is being flippant, but it was like, okay, here's what you need to know about that. Uh, now let's go a little deeper. And the rest of the retreat was more about my other emotional issues, you know, right. the feeling of failure that I carried, my parents' stuff. Then it got into, you know, like, kind of this feeling of self-hatred that I had. And then it kind of ended on this spiritual note that was beyond all that, like kind of reframing my orientation of what reality is for better or worse <laughs> way to express it. And I, I definitely wouldn't have gotten to that without that kind of deep immersion Right. You know, I, I had to work through all those things. And once they were kind of cleared up, then I could go to the next layer. So I think there is value in that. I guess it's just, it's so compressed and intense. I think and what you're you asking is people... like, I think what you're asking and tell me if I'm wrong, but if I didn't have to go to South America, if I could, if there was a place locally that offered ayahuasca ceremonies and I went to one tomorrow would I then willingly choose to go to one two days after that? Exactly. Or would I wait a full week? Wouldn't a better it? model be you do it once a month and spend the right. whole month like processing it and applying what you learned right. and rather than cramming all of that into 12 days. Like I, I honestly feel like I'm still processing shit from when we were volunteering <laughs> a year ago, you know, right, I right. still think about some of those uh, trips that I had. And like, you know, I still get little, little glimpses of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great podcast guest. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Okay, I think you're signaling that's all you have to say about that. I think so. I mean, I think you're... It, it, it would be more optimal to do it in the way that we described, to have a local place that you can go and do it on your own terms, but that's just not what we have. And if so, I remember correctly, I don't know where I heard this, but if I remember hearing that the shamans or or the indigenous who you know they would really only do this once a month or once every two months they don't it's not like a once a week type of thing so i always remember thinking about that and like what you were saying like if it was like a ritual once a month or you know once every season you do an ayahuasca yeah mentally purge you know, we, as humans, we, we, we're naturally going to build up, um, you know, pains, suffering in our minds, and then we need to naturally purge it out, but doing it in one, yeah, doing five ceremonies in one week is probably not the way that it would have been done, you know? So I do agree with you, but I don't think there'd be any other way to do it. Given the yeah. I guess the right? model came the way it is because of the constraints of reality in our world yeah like i don't know i guess but i think it is helpful to imagine how would you do it ideally and then you can kind of try to apply those lessons to whatever constraints you have to work with yeah because i think integration now is becoming like a big buzzword and like Mm -hmm. I've read about certain retreat centers that are trying a lot more to give you support after the retreat. And like you stay in touch with a psychologist and kind of, they know what your trips were and what you experienced and they kind of check in on you and see how you're like, I think the industry of ayahuasca is probably moving towards that model. Yeah. Cause I mean, I saw it as much as you did. Like once you are working there and you see the kind of cycle of the retreat, where everyone comes in all kind of like disconnected and blah, blah, blah. And then by the end, we're all one big happy family. And then like, you know, five days later, you in a WhatsApp or a text from someone, they're saying like, I'm not doing well. I'm feeling really down. I'm depressed, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, well, we should have warned you about that. (laughs) (laughs) But no one, no one does. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Um, it kind of feels like in every every person for themselves type. <laughs> yeah. In some in, in some ways. Um, yeah, I've thought a lot about this and, and it's it's hard to really pinpoint what's right and what's wrong. Um, now, is it just an experience or is it something that you can integrate back in your, you know, society that you live in (laughs) i think you definitely can but i once you lose if you don't keep in touch with other people who know yeah have a similar frame or have experienced what you've experienced then you can easily lose it yeah i think i did and that's why what my solution was was oh i need to go back Mm -hmm. so i just kept going back thinking that was the answer Mm -hmm. when really where i've landed now is like no i need to learn to apply this to my real life and take these lessons that I've learned and actually bring them about 
where I actually live. Do you think you got something different out of it from being a volunteer versus being a guest? And if so, what, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it was helpful to do what we were saying where as a volunteer, I could, instead of just bombarding myself with ceremony after ceremony, you know, I was doing one every two or three weeks or maybe two every two or three weeks. So I think that was helpful. Um, I guess just in the sense of like having more time to process it and also not just cruising on those endorphins and like the actual high of it so much, I could actually stay a little more grounded. Mm -hmm. I think that was helpful. And seeing it as this kind of like business model and cycle because when you just go there and show up for your retreat and you have this crazy experience and then you immediately leave it seems like this i don't know this magical unique one-of-a-kind journey but then after you see retreat after retreat 30 people in 30 people out 30 people in 30 people out you start to see like oh no this is kind of just like this reproducible uh, pattern, the cycle that I could start to see the, the structure of it, of like mm -hmm. how the retreat structure worked and apply that to myself and start to, I mean, it definitely kind of ended in me being like, all right, I don't need to move to South America and live in an ayahuasca center. Like, cause there is mm -hmm. kind of that pull. I had that at first of like, maybe I need to become a shaman. Maybe I need mm -hmm. to, I never really believe that, but what you experience is so magical and fulfilling that it seems like maybe the answer is to ditch society and <laughs> completely. And there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of people do that. There's like this kind of Instagram culture of like dropping out of society and being a nomad bum and mm -hmm. taking pictures of yourself in cool places. But I, I just realized for me, that wasn't sustainable yeah um i started doing less ceremonies by the end of my time as volunteer there i actually turned down the last two i just felt like i didn't need them yeah but i also had started to have that realization that the the main thing i got out of it was coming back is coming back to the community thing i i had a couple guests ask me while i was when i was um towards the end of my time there as a as a volunteer, how did they, they worded it. They asked me something along, I had like two people ask me like, you know, what's the one lesson, you know, from working here and being a guest here that you would take away. You know, I think they were trying to pick my brain because I, they knew I had been there for like five months at that point. Yeah. So really wanted to know like, you know, what lesson do I have or what would they want to hear from me? And, and, and I told them for me, and this is coming back to what we just talked about before it, it more became a lesson about the community. And I almost, I told them that I think the aspect of the community and the say with the San Pedro, you know, the, the having a community of people that you can be vulnerable with makes it feel like you're in a family. And to me, that was almost stronger than the medicine and the ceremonies themselves. Like that's what I was leaving with 
as from me from as your takeaway six yeah. months there was that I've seen people come and go, like you said, 30 people in, 30 people out, 30 people in, 30 people out. And I've seen so many different types of people respond in many different ways to the ceremonies and, and the situations. And, and I feel like what really does it is, or was after that first San Pedro ceremony, we had this joke going on. I think this is, might've been after, after you left and I was still there where, um, Whenever get the guests first show up, everybody's so awkward because, you know, everyone just had this long trip to South America, at least yep. two planes. Some people had, you know, o- overnights. People are very skeptical when they show up or they're nervous. They're weirded out what's going to happen. Um, so people are very guarded. And us as the workers who have been there, we're all like hugs. We're giving people hugs. And yeah. and people act, they're very, get kind of re- very weird when we, they get attacked by all of us with all this like love and like, Hey, community, <laughs> hey, welcome to the mountains. And everybody kind of looks at us like, are these people brainwashed or maybe this medicine? Do is- you remember showing up though on your first retreat? I was like, Holy I felt shit. the same way. Yeah. What, yeah. what cult have I stepped into? <laughs> like exactly all my alarm bells were triggered. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we used to have this joke that, um, that I used to say, you know, give it just like, the ayahuasca and then the san pedro uh ceremony just like in three days you're all you guys are all going to be awesome that's that's what i started saying but then my trip because people would show up i wouldn't say this to them of course but everyone show up at all kind of weird and whatever and just like just need to get through the first san pedro ceremony because after that one that's when everybody kind of like relaxes into themselves and and i think it's that community feeling like once people kind of tap into that like, oh, I can be vulnerable around these people. I don't have anything to worry about here. Um, once they kind of get that, then every, everybody would change and everybody would open up and would kind of like click. Um, so for me, just seeing that happen, like retreat after retreat, people showing up, being weird. And then once they get that sense of like being vulnerable in front of the group and that San Pedro ceremony, then everybody would change. And that to me was like, I just would see that every time. And I'm just like, you know, I think that's what it is. It's that vulnerability in front of people thing. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway from the whole thing. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think that was ultimately my takeaway too. And that's why I'm trying to do more stuff like this to now. Like I realize I don't have, you can create your own kind of rituals and community, however it is might feel unnatural, but I think that's what's missing is we used to have these shared spaces, I don't know, churches or whatever, Right. you know, we don't even have, we have nothing sacred in our culture anymore. <laughs> like yeah. our version of that is like going to see a Marvel movie. That's the yes. closest thing we have that's to true. like a shared sense of awe. And really that's just an attempt to sell like popcorn and <laughs> advertisements to like, so I'm still very much a question in my life and it's, it's fucking been hard with the pandemic. Yeah. I think I came back thinking I'm going to be community oriented when I get back. <laughs> yep. Same. And then it's just like a big lesson of, uh, I don't know what the lesson was. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm still processing it all. But I think, you know, even as I'm in relative isolation, I am, kind of applying what I learned there of like sometimes I'm the one to call a friend whereas before like 
I just waited for people to reach out to me or something, which mm-hmm. meant that no, I never had any human contact. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you have to in- initiate it. Uh, and that's something I kind of learned is like, why can't you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I try to keep in mind is um, everybody's carrying a big burden. Something I got out of the San Pedro ceremony is watching people kind of go up and reveal themselves is um, I'd be amazed at some of the, you know, I'd meet some of the guests that would show up and would seem like, you know, oh, they got their shit together. It seemed like they do. And then people get up on the, the carpet during the San Pedro and they start pouring their soul out. And some of the stuff was just like, oh, oh my God, like every single person is walking around with like a big burden, whatever it is. And nobody's really got it figured out as much as it seems like they do. And just keeping that in mind, I think makes you more compassionate and makes you kind of treat people better and um, helps you respond to tough situations better because it kind of reminds you that you know this person that may be bothering me or annoying me or whatever it is like they're thinking about something or there's something that's dragging them down right now because you know you don't normally think about that you're kind of always thinking about yourself um so i think that kind of helps to integrate <laughs> i definitely had that experience and that realization but how often do you manage to live in that i think it's kind of a muscle that mm-hmm. you have to constantly train i mean really it's it's empathy right it's like realizing whatever someone's behavior is is driven by their own right suffering or internal state and yeah. i certainly don't live in that place enough <laughs> <laughs> I have access to it and I yeah. know it's there and sometimes I tap into it, but. Well, it's kind of like the whole experience. And I used to say this when I was younger and, you know, eating mushrooms when I was a teenager and, and stuff like that, or is that the whole thing is like a window. It's like psychedelics for me at least. And then the whole say retreat experience as a whole, it's kind of like a window kind of got to see like how things could be if your perception was different or, but you can't quite live outside there. It's like you kind of, or you gotta, I don't know if I'm putting it right, but some people don't even ever get to see out the window. They don't even know there's a window there. They don't even know there's an outside of the room, but like having done psychedelics or having done an experience, like going on the retreat is like, you know, now, you know, there's an outside and you know, that there's a window and you know how to open that window and you can look out it. So we kind of all are drawn to like, well, I want to climb the fuck out. (laughs) I want to be there all the time. Like, like you said, I want to be at the retreat center. I want to live that lifestyle, but it's kind of unrealistic, right? Like maybe it is. Um, That would be the question, right? Can you, but I think what I'm saying is we have that at least that's something I wouldn't I wouldn't have had this experience of keeping in mind that, um, oh, everybody carries a burden if I didn't go and have this experience. So there's a little bit of a window there that I have. Like I got a little bit of a perception that I wouldn't have had. And, but now it's my job, like you said, to exercise it like a muscle to try to use it because 
before my experience, I didn't even know that muscle was there. I didn't even know about it. So, I mean, that in itself, I guess, um, is something to take away. But I think a lot of us expect to, you know, I wanted to come back and, and start a whole community just like the retreat center. And right, right. Live happily ever after, you know, like, I mean, maybe it's possible, but. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's part of the lesson of psychedelics. If you're around them enough is that like, really the goal is to be more fully human. I think like, and there's kind of a misconception, I think that a lot of people have that you're trying to transcend your humanity like you want to live in the colors and the alternate realities and the craziness forever. But really you, you dive down into those realms to get like pearls of wisdom that right. you can bring back and just live a regular ass life or whatever kind of life you want. Right. Um, but the goal is not to merge with the singularity or whatever mm -hmm. You know, we get into those metaphysical concepts. It's impossible. You can't do that. Right. You're always going to have to come back. Um, all right. The other segment that I don't know, I'll, I'll just cut it if it sucks. <laughs> I was thinking, well, we talk a lot about vulnerability and stuff. I thought, I don't know how this would work, but all right. Surprise. Vulnerability time. You have to share something that uh you're currently going through or some kind of thing like that currently going through anxiety mostly about the short-term future covid related stuff personal or sort of kind of societal larger scale or both. societal large, larger scale yeah not so much personal stuff more just like as a whole socially just a feeling of anxiety and unease about what may be to come <laughs> i mean i i think that's probably it's almost pretty, universal right now. yeah i yeah i know it almost feels too cheap of an answer but i mean that's it that's is too just, cheap it's just the truth. Um, I mean, I didn't feel this way last year when we got back from, when we got back from South America, it was in March. So COVID was just hitting. So it was very much a reality, but wasn't really that worried or anxious about the future or, but now that it's been a full year, it's kind of like, Oh, things are actually changed or going to change or have changed. You know, it's not, it was not just like, so it's, there's just that uncertainty and, and um, yeah. So, you know, it would be trying to just avoid that fear of the unknown. <laughs> well, are you saying how to handle it? I mean, the trick is you don't avoid it, right? right. Is I don't even know if face it is the right word, but just kind of like, let it be. Let it be, yeah. Um, because if you try to block it out, it just ends up controlling you even more. Yeah. I mean, I have that. I, I think we're kind of watching institutions break down around us, which mm -hmm. is scary, but it's also in some ways exciting 
I mean, we're definitely going to fuck it up with whatever we try to, but it's an opportunity. It's sort of the same as when you do ayahuasca where like, there's this very uncomfortable part where you're stripping away parts of your identity and you're still Mm -hmm. clinging to them, but you have to strip those away to be able to imagine something new. Mm -hmm. I think we're kind of doing that collectively. Yeah, it's, um, and from everything we were just saying about the experience and the lessons that, you know, at least I got from the retreat center and ayahuasca and the sense of community, I mean, this is, boy, it's just quite the opposite of that, right? I mean, <laughs> the, you know, with uh, things being shut down and uh, social yeah. distancing, it's the complete opposite. So, um, you know, for me, for my experience, I came back kind of with this in mind of more community, more and 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 that was even with the way things were and it was going to be tough enough with the way things were to kind of bring that sense of community you know created or find it or a combination of both but now it seems like he's so much further away (laughs) than it was a year ago um so yeah i just have this anxiety about um you know is that even possible should I abandon that, that like, no. search or that, you know, like, is that even feasible right now to even think in those terms? Um, I can barely even see, you know, my grandmother. <laughs> right. But like, so it's kind of tough. There's just this anxiety, this underlying everything that I do. And I don't, my life is not that bad right now. It, it's just, I have this underlying kind of anxiety about everything. I agree. And I share that, but I, I sort of see it from the perspective of like, you know, how in the tradition we were drinking in, like we wouldn't drink, you, you didn't drink any water for the entire ayahuasca ceremony. Mm-hmm. You were like depriving yourself of water so that you could learn to appreciate it. Right. I sort I of feel like we're saying. doing that same thing now. Like okay. it's not that we give up on community. We are now in like a community drought where you, you realize even more how important it is. And like, I think everybody wants to, there's going to be fucking huge parties mm-hmm. as soon as it's safe. Like there's going to be, I think a very lively. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. No, that's true. Now that, the... you know, thank you for that. Now that you put it like that. Um, that's a very good, that's a very good way to look at it. I didn't know that I actually looked like it mm. looked at it that way until I heard you saying, maybe I should just give up on community. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not the answer. <laughs> well, you know, everything right now, especially, you know, on that topic, it, to be honest, I mean, it feels a little bit hopeless, you know, it's kind of um, some days are trying, you know, lots of staying indoors and keeping to yourself and trying to keep busy. It's uh, it's not, I don't think it's normal for, everybody to be indoors so much and not have as much contact with people. So it's much more amplified. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, in some ways I feel like I'm kind of adapted. This used to be my comfort zone is like growing up as this, like I would just sit in my parents' basement as a teenager and play world of Warcraft all day. It's like the struggle for me has been to not shut down in that way into those old. And I think everyone has that, like, don't revert to your old coping skills Mm -hmm. because now you have endless uh, ability to do it and no one's going to judge you (laughs) except yourself. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. yeah, I struggle all the time. I have really bad days of just being cooped up, especially with the winter. Oh, I wanted to, this was just because I've been thinking about Gaia more. Uh-huh. I had two memories come up. I was going to try to weave them into the podcast, but I'm actually glad that I didn't because it would have been unnatural. Okay. <laughs> Here's my two memories. I was thinking about like, if we could just recall like a really funny time or just a happy memory at Gaia. My happy memory that I just thought of this earlier for no reason was during the middle of an ayahuasca ceremony. I'm sitting next to Salvador at this point. I think I'm really cool and like high status. So I'm sitting next to the shaman. I don't know if you ever fell down that trap, but anyway, Mm. uh, it's very quiet. It's in that kind of lull period where like, you know, everyone's off in their own thing and he's just letting the, letting it flow, no song or anything. And then the dogs start barking and going crazy and everyone's kind of like sitting up out of their thing and looking around and everyone's a little freaked out. Cause I mean, we're on ayahuasca and then Salvador just looks at me and goes, who let the dogs out? Oh my God. <laughs> He starts singing Baja Men. (laughs) I just fucking lost it. Like, I was so euphorically happy. It was the best. (laughs) I just could have never seen that coming. I just lost it. Oh my god! Oh, so good. I have a fun. I have a similar story. Um. It's like the same time of the ceremony. I was sitting yeah. right next to right next to Salvador. Same thing. Okay. Um, so you know he had finished playing music. Whatever it was, it felt like the ceremony was like three quarters over mentally at the time. So it seemed like it had been a while, and it was dead quiet for what seemed like forever, which is hard to gauge time, of course. But yeah. And I look, I'm looking over at Salvador, and he's sitting there with his eyes closed. So I'm looking around. I'm just like, okay, it just seems to be going on. But it was nice to the quiet. But after a while, it was just like, just feels unusually long. And then at some point, all of a sudden, Salvador just like kind of almost jumps up and stands up to his feet. And um, he starts walking around the circle, you know, talking. Everybody does like a little close, you know, I don't remember exactly what part of the ceremony is in, but he walks around or he talks for a bit and he finally comes back and he, yeah, that's right. He closes the ceremony. He finally comes back and he sits back down and this sits next to me, leans back and turns to me and goes, ah, I fell asleep for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew something was off. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mark. I think this was a good podcast. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, it was fun too. It's the first my first uh, first podcast as a guest. Maybe not your last. Maybe not my last.